encourage you to open it to Romans chapter 12. If you do not have one with you or you don't have it on your iPhone, uh, you should find a Bible under the pew chair, chair near you. I encourage you to take one and uh, follow along as we look at Romans chapter 12. This morning we're going to look at a passage of scripture that I have entitled um, the mother-in-law chapter because literally uh, I have used this over in this chapter over and over again in counseling with people and one day I was counseling with a husband and wife and the wife was really having some kind, I don't remember all the details anymore, but having some real issue with her mother-in-law. So they're like, okay, what do we do? How do we deal with this? So I took this passage of scripture and I went through it verse by verse and a little bit word for word every now and then. And at the end, I said, does this make sense? And she looked right at me and said, are you telling me I have to be nice to my mother-in-law? That's what she said. Now, the, the Holy Spirit gave me the right wisdom to say. I didn't say yes or no. I just said, what did it say? Because I don't want to be the one telling her that, but I want her to get the truth and realize that it's God who is telling us this is the way to live. In fact, is one of the reasons that we're looking at this passage today is that of all the things in this world that we have to deal with, relationships are probably the hardest part of life. Now, there are lots of hard things in life. We deal with work and we deal with death and we deal with those kinds of things. But the truth is, when you look at relationships, they are absolutely hard to have to actually get started. They are hard to build and they are extremely hard to maintain. If you think about this, all it takes is a couple of words, a couple of sentences, one sentences, one or two actions, and those that have been lifelong friends are going their different directions. In families, and maybe you know this, in families, all it takes is one incident, and the family is split right down the middle. The truth of the matter is, relationships are what makes this world work. Obviously, our relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important relationship. But today, at the beginning of the sermon and in this passage, we're talking about relationships among people. And we're talking about spouses. If it wasn't for marriage counseling, my job would be a whole lot easier. Uh, if parents and with their children, with neighbors, with co-workers, with the boss, you name it. Relationships are absolutely essential. You think about it. A ruined relationship or a bad relationship makes it that you really don't even want to get out of bed in the morning some days. And then, and you're going, ah, that's too nice. The last sentence I have up there. Then there's that person that you are absolutely convinced that is in your life just to simply be a pain in the neck in your life. Don't, don't put up your hand. You know, but I'll bet you if, if I was talking one-on-one -on -one to you, all of you would say, yeah, there is that person in my life where it looks like 
All they ever do is pick on me, criticize me, put me down. Uh, They work against me. And sometimes it's in your own family. Sometimes it's spouses. Sometimes it's neighbors. You may have one of those neighbors. You go, where in the world did this person come from? Well, guess what? In the midst of that, we need to have a biblical standard for relationships. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time, because I know what the conclusion is, is that what I'm going to tell you for the next 25 minutes, you're going to go, no individual, no human being can do what this passage says to do. And I'll totally agree with you. On your own, on your own power, you will not be able to carry this out. Nobody has that power within themselves. In fact is, I, I, this was supposed to be a tractor pull weekend. I don't think any of the tractor pull guys showed up because obviously we got rained out. But about a month and a half ago, I was uh, pulling my tractor and I'm going to be talked about on tra- in garden tractor pull circles for a while now. Because I had an explosion that nobody had ever seen before. You don't need to know about engines and tractors and all that. But the shiny things near the middle of the picture, you should never see unless you've taken an engine apart. But literally in the middle of a pole, the part that's laying over to uh, that side should be up on top of the engine. There was a bang, a ball of fire, and the top of my hood of my tractor just went flying open and... Well, let me go back. See those pieces on the red part of the hood? They were walking around me picking these pieces up on the track. And that's what it looked like when it was done. You know what? The reason I'm using that is because probably most of us, if not all of us, have a relationship that looks just like that engine, except that engine with a few hundred bucks, I could put it back together. Uh, no. I couldn't put it back together. Sorry. That's Humpty Dumpty. You don't put that back together. Guys, by the way, I've I've been known to to patch things together and my tractor pull buddies go, are you going to try to weld that back together? I for once said, no, I'm not even going to try. But with relationships, I'm going to propose to you and the Word of God is going to show you that no matter what the relationship is, we have a responsibility and we can actually carry it out. So, if you will, if you will look in your Bible, we're starting at Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Because it gives that first standard. Love is the standard. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy has to do with something that is... Uh, genuine. It's sincere. It's not fate. Love, this kind of love, agape love, is others-centered. It's about the welfare, the well-being, the good of the other person. And I'm not to be faking it. This word uh, hypocritical was used in Greek culture, and I believe even into Roman culture. If an artist was chiseling a statue out of marble and there was a miss a blow and there's a crack or, or something that, that got taken out that shouldn't have been taken out. They would, on cheap statues, they would take wax because think about this, marble and wax kind of look a little bit alike, the same color, and they would put wax over the flaw. Now, obviously, it's not the real thing. It's not marble. 
But it's something covered over. He says, no, no, no. The standard is you care about other people, period. Now, how do you do that? Well, he's going he's to give us a list of ways we do that. First of all, if you care about people, you abhor what is evil. Abhor is a, I think, a step beyond you hate what's evil. It's something that just makes you sick even to think about. It. You want nothing to do with it. So if you're really going to live in love, there is a place where you have to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You're not starting a fight. You're just saying, I, I can't stand that. That is evil. We're not talking about they have a, a weird thing in their personality or something like that. But we need to make sure that we utterly detest what is evil, what is wicked, what is wrong. And we need to, on the other hand, glue yourself to good. Now, you're not going to find the word glue in there. You find the word cling or another word that translates that concept. Cling to what is good. That is, if you think about it, it's like Velcro. You take the Velcro and you stick it fast to each other. It clings. It glues together. Whatever you take the Velcro and put it someplace else, it sticks to it. He is saying, if you're going to have love as a standard for relationships, when you see something good, you need to be like Velcro and stick to it. You say, you don't know my neighbor. You don't know what my ex-spouse was like, or you don't know how my children or how my dad treated me. Uh, you, and by the way, I don't. Here's what I know, is that if there's something wicked, you don't want anything to do with that. On the other hand, you need to look for those things that are good. Even the worst situation, you need to have the mindset and the attitude that I am looking for something good to cling fast to. And the word good here means those things that are good and profitable and helpful. And beneficial. And then we have to have a commitment to other people. We need to be, as verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. There, the, the word brotherly love is the word where we get Philadelphia from. It is a um, reciprocal type of love. You scratch my back, I scratch you. You do good things for me, I do them in return. That is not the word love that we saw in the very first uh, verse here. That means unilateral toward the other person. This one here is back and forth. So it says, you know, when, when good things are going on, you return that love. But it does one thing more. The word <clears throat> devoted is actually that same word with another third word in Greek for love. It is Family love, in the sense of blood is thicker than water. The Greeks used it uh, in their time for the protection that a mother animal or a father animal would give for their young. You know, you just say you, you don't mess with mama bear when the cubs are around. You just don't do those things. Fact is, I grew up on a dairy farm. I am not scared of a dairy cow. They are about as harmless as can be. Now, they can walk over top of you because they weigh ten times more than you do. But they don't purposely try to do you in. Now, a bull, on the other hand, 
don't go out of here and say that guy's crazy because bulls are unpredictable. But the cows. But you know what? Every now and then, one of our cows would have a calf in the pasture. And my dad would say to my, myself and my brothers, go out and bring the calf in. And so we would take a wheelbarrow, pick the calf up, put it on the wheelbarrow, because they didn't walk very well by that time yet. And we would wheelbarrow the calf into the barn. That is the one time of all of growing up that I'm watching my back. Because if you take that calf, Mama Cow was not very happy. And you could get run over. And literally, they have tried to do that. That's why usually two of us went. Because one could keep an eye on, on the cow and the other one pushed the wheelbarrow. But that's this. It says, you know what? You need to go out of your way. To be committed to other people. In fact, as he says, give preference. Put them ahead of you in honor. The word honor always in the Bible has to do with valuable, precious. Something that's very, very important to you. Saying, you know what? You need to see relationships as valuable, precious. And you need to go out of your way. You're starting to understand why I said this is hard. You can't do it on your own. Because it doesn't take much. By the way, I'll put my hand up. You don't. But it doesn't take much for people to start getting under my skin. I thought maybe I'd hear an amen. But you know what? You don't have to do that. But, but it's the truth. We expect a lot from other people. And when they don't come through with that, we just kind of want to tend to write them off. And God says, no, that's not my standard. He also goes on to say that we need to be uh, proactive in helping others. How's he say it in verse 11? It says, not lagging behind in diligence. That's the, the desire to do something. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Notice, if you're going to be proactive in doing that, you need to see it this way. That when you pursue loving relationships, you are actually serving the Lord. Notice that context? Serving the Lord. A lot of times we think it's, and by the way, I'm totally in agreement with what uh, Susan told us earlier about taking the gospel to the world. That's serving the Lord. There's no doubt about it. Being a missionary, being an evangelist, being a pastor, whatever, teacher. But we serve the Lord when we proactively pursue relationships. It also requires us to be positive. In verse 12 it says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. We are glad. We look forward to a good relationship, even if tribulation, hard times are there. It requires us to wait and to endure uh, during the tough times. All relationships have those times when it's hard. If you talk to somebody that's married and they say, we have never had any issues, I'm not sure they're really being honest with you. They may not have been severe, but they have to be dealt with. But I don't want to. You don't know what they said about me or what they did. The answer is, no, I don't. 
But here's what I know. God says the standard is to love that other person. Go out of your way is the last point here. Devoted to prayer. If you're not praying for them, you're not fully pursuing that relationship. Contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. Hospitality is that word for brotherly love one more time with the word stranger attached to it. It means loving strangers, reaching out to other people, people that you don't know. Or, I'm just going to say for today, people that you're estranged from. Something may have caused a rift. Are you reaching out to those people, going out of your way? The second part that we're going to look at is speaking well of the other person is something important. That doesn't mean everything you say, uh, you're in la-la land someplace and you just ignore what the facts are. But it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Curse means to speak evil against or speak against the person. Bless says, I'm speaking well of them. That's a eulogy type thing. It's saying, you're going to look for those things where you can speak well. Jesus went way further. He said, pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. Wow. Hold it a second. I can't do that. They're enemies. They're against me. They're trying to put me down every time I turn around. You don't know what my mother was like every time. She criticized everything I did. My dad, I could never please him at all. You don't understand that. How could, how could I love them? The answer is, you're going to go out of your way to look for those things. Because I'll guarantee you, they've done something that you can look at and say, well, love. But it doesn't stop there. Because we... Um, oops, I'm sorry, I went too far. We need to... Uh, Speak well of others, and we rejoice, uh, we bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. You go, what does that mean? When something good happens to someone else, and they're all happy about it, do you have the attitude is, that should have been mine, that should have been me, they don't deserve that. If you have that attitude, you're not rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. On the other hand, it says we weep with those who weep. They're grieving, and you go, they got what they deserved. When you do that, you are doing exactly the opposite of what this passage teaches us to do. And so we need to be in tune with that, what that other person is going through. And in verse 16, it says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. We never should look at our lives and realize or think that we're better than the other person. Just remember, you may be a very blessed person, And hopefully you've been being obedient to the Lord and God is blessing you. But notice what I said. God is blessing you. Because none of us have anything that we can brag about ultimately. It's God working in us. Because why? You are not the standard. 
It goes on to say, do not be wise in your own estimation. <laughs> if you want an opinion of yourself, be, or you have a, a high opinion of yourself, be careful. Somebody said at one time is, uh, when you think you've made your mark on the world, watch out for people with erasers. Because I'll guarantee you, there are people who know things about you and go, oh, you think you're all that and bag of chips? Guess what? I know this about him. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. The worst opinion you can have of yourself is probably going to be your own opinion. Because let's face it, is it hard for you to find your own flaws and easy to find what you think you do good? The answer is most of us would answer yes to that. It's pretty easy to do that. I can very easily see the flaws in someone else, but I have a hard time seeing them in me. I don't believe you're any different. And how do you act out that you're not the standard, you're not the epitome of what a relationship, what a person should be like? First of all, you cannot be vengeful. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. That's our natural thing. If somebody wrongs me, the first thing, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest with you, first thing is, I want to get back. Now, I know better than that, okay? I don't practice that. But I'm telling you, if you're going to be honest with yourself, that's what goes through your mind. It's like, how am I going to fight back? It says, don't be vengeful. Let... Well, we're going to see this in a moment, but God is the one that says, let that to me. And then, don't act out of place. Don't act in a way that isn't normal. For example, what it says, it says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. Doesn't mean you agree with everything, because you'll pour evil. No doubt about it. But, respect the things that are right. You need to look for those things. See, if you're going to live the Christian life, and you're going to have Christian character, and you're going to pursue uh, loving relationships, you're going to have to look, at times, really hard. You're going to have to look into cracks and crannies to find these good things. But that is what you're going to pursue. You're going to look for the things that are right. This word that is used here is used of Jesus Christ. It says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The word good is the word that's used here. It means he did it because it was the right thing to do. It doesn't have to do with the results. It has to do with he went out of his way because it was the right thing for him to do, to die on the cross, to pay for our sins. And he did it simply because it was the right thing to do. In this case, you're looking for those things that are good and right. And then, this, I believe, is the key verse in verse 18. The key verse of the whole thing. The last one may be, but this one here is the one I usually go to. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. This puts a balance in there. Because you go, I have been 
breaking my back. I have been going over and above. I have been doing everything I possibly could do to mend a broken relationship. I have tried to be loving. I have tried to be helpful. I have, I have said all the good things I can say and I'm trying to keep my negative mindset without not coming out my mouth and my attitude. And this person is still going on and doing what they were doing. Guess what? Notice exactly what it says. If possible. So far it depends on you. Live at peace with all men. It has to do with you. If you play any kind of a... And I would have used this as an illustration for this afternoon. But you're going to have to just take it as a verbal illustration. But if you go out here and you play volleyball... Or you play, uh, I believe he has badminton or something out there. Or you play ping pong. All of you know the rules say you can't do anything when it's on the other side of the net. When it's on your side of the net, you can do whatever you need to do to get it back over. Well, guess what? That's this principle. Whatever is on your side of the net, you are responsible for. You need to take and be accountable for that. When you have done what you can do, what's on the other side of the net is up to that person. You cannot force them to respond in a positive way. It doesn't work that way. So here's what it comes down to. I'm not going to go around with my head down because I've tried my best and with God's help I've done what I could do and the person's still mean, rotten, and nasty to me. I can't do anything about that. All I know is I'm living in obedience to what God is saying. So I cannot change the other person, but I sure can change me. You see, the peace should always start with me. That's what I need to do. Harmony, tranquility, it's not always achievable. But we should never, ever, ever be the responsible party for the lack of peace and harmony and tranquility in a relationship. That should never come from our side of the net. That's what this verse says. And then we need to stay out of God's way. Never take your own revenge, brethren. It is not up to me to retaliate. But what does happen? It continues on that we need to allow God to bring judgment. There is no doubt about it. The Bible is very clear. What a man sows, he also reaps. There is an accountability. We all have to give an answer for our life, our actions, our attitudes. Yes, attitudes and our thinking. We have to give an answer for all of those things to God. And here's what God says. It comes from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 32. It says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Notice it's not you taking the vengeance or revenge. You need to, at times, you just have to say, you know what? I don't like this at all. But God, they're your problem. I am going to, I'll be obedient. I'll do what you ask me to do. But you have to deal with them. And then he goes on to say, you know, if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. In all of these things, you will heap burning coals upon their heads. Somebody told me, well, that doesn't sound loving. Well, what you're doing is you're just giving an opportunity for God to make them aware of what they're doing. Because you make them look bad because when they're mean, rotten, and nasty, you're still doing what is right. Then the last verse. 
Because the last verse ends this whole thing. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word overcome is the word victory. It was known by the Greeks. They had a a goddess of victory in war and everything else. Um, And uh, Nike is the name. Now, I hate to use that after this Nike debacle with the... um, their, their advertising. But the truth of the matter is, the point is, Nike means victory. Do not give evil the victory. But here's what you can do. Overcome. Have victory by doing what is good. Doing things that are beneficial and profitable and helpful to that other person. What does it do? It really shines the light on them, shows them who they are. But the bottom line for today, and I'm, I'm done at this point, is in Romans chapter 5, it makes a few things clear. It says that we, while we were still helpless, Christ died for us. While we could not do what God demanded us to do, whether it's a relationship or whatever else, we couldn't provide our own salvation. We cannot do what, what this passage just said. While we're helpless, we are powerless. We cannot do it. He says, and while we were helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. You say, well, I believe in God, yes. But doing what he says is what makes us godly. We're helpless. We cannot do what God demands us to do. And then it says, for God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, sinners are those that have missed the mark. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us have ever been able to achieve the glory of God. We and sin literally means to miss the mark, like a target. We miss the mark of God's absolute holiness. And so we need someone to do this for us. In fact, this verse 10 of that same chapter says that while we were enemies, that is when Christ Reconcile us to God. Reconcile means simply this, to take us from being enemies to being friends. I cannot live the demands of Scripture. I cannot do that on my own. I cannot meet the demands of salvation. I cannot do that on my own. But here's the bottom line. Christ did it for us. It's a matter of faith. The Bible is very clear that all of us are sinners. We were born that way and we act that way. And when we compare ourselves to the standard of Scripture, we can't meet the standard. But there is one who met all the standards. And he took my sin, your sin, my helplessness, my ungodliness, my sin, my status as an enemy. He took that on himself. And died and paid the full penalty, the full price, by shedding his blood on the cross for me. I can't do it, but he did it for me. He paid the ultimate price for me. And how do I put that into practice? It's simply, as the Bible says, it's by faith. I accept that I'm a sinner. I believe and I trust that Jesus Christ alone died 
for me. So that I could have His righteousness credited to me. I could call on Him to give me the power to not only be saved, but also to live the Christian life. To live the life of the relationships that we are to have. How do you do that? I'd like all of you just to bow your heads in a word of prayer for a moment as we're dismissed. Father, thank you for reminding us of how short we come of your glory. Thank you for reminding us that on our own we fall short. But thank you also for reminding us that Jesus Christ alone was perfect. He paid the full price. And now he offers it to us as a gift. A gift of salvation, forgiveness of sins. But the gift also, with that salvation, of the power to live out the Christian life. To be able to live out those relationships that are in our lives. Lord, I pray that those of us that are Christians, that we be reminded that we need to use that power. But Lord, if there are those that are here this morning that have never trusted Christ and they don't know that power, I pray that just in the quietness of this moment, they would say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know Christ died for me. I believe that. And I'm asking you to forgive my sin, to save me, and give me the power to live the way you have chosen that we should live. Lord, if anyone needs additional information, I pray they talk to myself or Pastor Peter or some other Christian that they know that they can explain to them more from the truths of the Word of God and how to know without a doubt their sins are forgiven and they have the ability to live out the Christian life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Peter.